campus minister at Austin P for our denomination. Um, and when I have the opportunity to preach up here, we've been going through the book of James. And we are in the book of James right now in chapter 4. And we're going to do a little bit different than what it says in your bulletin. We're going to do uh, and hear from God speak to us from chapter 4, verses 10, 11, and 12. If you want to, there's probably a Bible under your chair or something. It's on page 1013 in these blue Bibles. So James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he was one of the leaders of the early church, and you can read about him if you go read in the book of Acts, around Acts uh, 15 or so. You can read some stuff about what James did and how he was a leader there. And he writes to a community of Christians in this early church. This is like one of the first books of the New Testament that was ever written, if not the first. And he's writing this letter to this community of Christians, and this, this community, they're all experiencing these trials of various kinds, and James writes this letter, not just for them, but for successive generations of Christians, even to today. So this book is even written, this letter is written to us. So let's hear, actually, Jesus speak through James by his Spirit. Let's read these three verses, and let's see what James is telling us. So James chapter 4, verses 10, 11, and 12. James writes, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The grass withers and the flower fades and the word of God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts, that your spirit would work among us um, as your word is spoken to us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when I was 24, I graduated from college and I moved to Korea. I taught English there. My first job, I was an elementary school teacher in a public school in Seoul. And um, a couple of weeks into the, my, first, um, my first couple of weeks in Korea, I'm at my job one afternoon, all the students had left the classroom, and I'm there by myself, and I get this message on my computer from my co-teacher, Jian, and the message just says this, Will, the principal wants to see you in his office. <laughs> and immediately, my heart sank, because and my first response was, what have I done? What did I do? I must have done something. Because uh, historically, the time that the principals in my life wanted to see me in their office, those were not good times. So I had flashbacks of when I was in third grade, and I punched some kid in the nose. Or in sixth grade, I was continually, I had this like little uh, remote control watch that I spent so much time, so much money on. Uh, and I was turning the TV on during class and turning the volume way up during while we were doing things. And uh, I got in trouble for that. That was another reason I was in the principal's office. Uh, I broke some bottles one time in seventh grade on the bleachers. I was in the principal's office for that. So th th all these things were flashing through my mind as I was a you know, 24 year old, now walking again to the principal's office frantically trying to figure out what have I done here? <laughs> what is going on? How did I already screw this up? So I get to the office of this uh, Mr. Liu and I knock on the door sh and uh, he says to come in and I sheepishly kind of walk in and he's, he's in his office and he says, William, come. And I walk over to his office. I'll, I'll walk over to his desk and then he has me like kneel down next to his desk and I'm like, what's gonna happen? Is, is there some kind of Korean uh, whipping cane he's gonna hit me with or something? <laughs> Um, but then he motions up to his uh, computer, and I look, and there's these pictures of him and his family 
all over his computer screen, and he says, uh, William, I took a vacation in Japan. Uh, you see my photos. And what he really wanted to do was just show me all of his vacation photos. <laughs> and all that sweating and all that worrying and all that frantic, franticness that I was experiencing was for nothing. And he just described his vacation for 15 minutes as I awkwardly knelt on the floor <laughs> next, to his, uh, next to his desk. Um, it was really interesting to me looking back on my reaction to hearing that the principal wants to see me in his office. It was really interesting how much um, I just assumed automatically the principal's motives here. And I assumed also that I was in trouble and there was just, uh, because of my history with principal's offices, and there was just no other possibility of what could be going on except for the, the narrative that I was constructing, had constructed in my head. So what links this story about me in Korea, 24 years old, to our, our text today is this text here that we just read from James is James's audience is also, they're also, they're also are full of assumptions about themselves, about one another, uh, towards one another, and their assumptions are leading to them speaking evil against each other, judging each other, and James wants them to endure in this trial of judging. We're going to call this today the trial of judging. You and I, we all are tempted to judge. I don't know a lot of you, but I know that you are tempted to judge. How do we endure in this trial of judging? And how do we grow and endure and come out on the other side more mature, more Christ-like, more humble, more loving, more gracious? The big idea of this text is that Jesus is the judge and lawgiver. Jesus is the one judge and lawgiver. And if Jesus is the one judge and lawgiver, then we should, I have three points, we should give up our gavels to Jesus, we should give our rules to Jesus, and give our lives to Jesus. So because Jesus is the one judge and lawgiver, we should give up our gavels, we should give up our rules, give up our lives to Jesus. So for our first point, look with me in verses 11 and 12. So that gavel, that hammer-like thing that judges, you know, pound the desk, when they're making judgments, when they need order in the court. Um, James is telling us to give it up. Give that gavel up. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor? So in these verses that we just read, James is building a case, all right? James is building the case that Jesus is the one judge that we should not be, we should not pretend to be. Jesus is the lawgiver, and we are not to have our own rules and laws that govern other people, okay? So the first one is that we are not a judge, and we should put our gavels down. Stop acting like a judge toward other people. Now, when he says judging here, it's a good caveat here just to remember. Um, being a judge is not, doesn't mean that we can't make judgments about what's true or what's false or what's right or what's wrong. But James here, and G Jesus does the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about judges, judging. Um, what James is talking about is this internal tendency that we have to look down on people, to disparage them in our hearts, uh, to dismiss people, to reject people, 
just general, like, the contempt that wells up in us toward some certain individuals, some groups of people, because of what they do, because of who they are, or just because maybe they're different. Or maybe because we're scared of them for some reason. And that comes out in, the, in our attitudes towards them. It comes out um, in our words. It comes out in our actions towards them. It comes out in our words towards other people about them, our deeds toward other people about them. So James tells us we are not to speak evil against our brothers. And what does he mean when he says, the spe- what does speak evil mean? So speak evil here in this text is the, the same word that we could use. It's translated elsewhere as slander. So do not slander one another. Now, what is slander? Slander is creating and spreading false stories or false reports about something that someone has not done. All right? So it's saying that somebody did something that they actually didn't do or said something that they actually didn't say. Now, gossip is different. It helps. It's a helpful category. Gossip is different. Gossip is spreading true things to the wrong people, saying true things about people that you know about to the people that, that should not be hearing it. That's gossip. Slander, however, is making up something that someone has done in your mind or telling it to other people. Um, And so I want to just focus on the latter one. So the regular big uh, slander, just making up things that somebody did, um, that is is an issue today, but I want to focus on something else. Like, for example, this one. Like, if I said that I was driving by the church uh, a few weeks ago and I saw Corey Boyd smashing the air conditioner, that would be slander, right? that did not happen. This absolutely did not happen. I mean, that would be overt slander. Uh, but slander also includes, and this is what I want to focus, narrow down on, is twisting someone's character or creating motives for what they did do, what they actually did do. Um, adding, inserting motives to what people do do. And we do this all the time. Okay, I do this every day. Okay, let's, let's figure out what I'm talking about. So, for example, when I was a senior in high school, uh, in my English class, Mr. Pettit's class, the one I cheated on, in, cheated in that class that I talked about earlier, when I was a senior in high school, uh, one of the assignments, final assignments we had was we were to make a speech and then deliver it to our class, uh, imagining that we were at graduation or something. And so for my speech, I actually loved the high school I went to the last two years, Chen um, Christian School, I loved it. So I, my speech was about how great the students were, my great experience there, how great the, I enjoyed the teachers there. And afterwards, there was one girl in the class that started telling everyone that I was being sarcastic and was, I was actually backhandedly demeaning and criticizing my school and the teachers and the students in my speech. So she went around telling people that I was being sarcastic and it was, I meant the opposite of what I said. And it was so frustrating and annoying because I felt like I had to do this damage control and make sure everybody knows I was being serious or else they're all going to think I'm this sarcastic jerk. Now, notice in this example, this girl didn't make up something that I did, but she took something that I did do, and she added this motive. She created and inserted this motive and then told people in my class, and it completely changed in their minds what I did. So if you had heard my speech, you'd be like, oh, that's nice, and then if she came along and told you, she'd be like, oh, that's not nice, right? It would have changed, she would have um, damaged my character by doing this. And there's this part of us, and I think this is so common, there's this part of us 
that thinks like this girl. I think this girl that spread this stuff about me, I think she really did believe this. I think she really did believe this. But there's this part of us that thinks that we know people's motives. She thought that she could read my mind and read my heart, and she never asked me about it. But that was truth for her, and then she thought she could spread it around. So James says in verse 12 that there's only one judge. One of the things that James means there is that you and I, you know, for example, an ideal judge. What are judges ideally supposed to do? I think this is how it works. But judges are supposed to take, judges are the people that see all the evidence. They're able to ascertain as best they can people's motives and their intentions for doing things. Um, everything's laid out, all the evidence inside and out is, is ideally laid out before the judge, and then the judge, she makes her judgment. And that's the role that we are assuming on ourselves when we judge people's motives, when we make up people's motives, and when we assume we know why they, they do the things that they do. And this leads to all kinds of calamity in relationships, in family relationships, uh, husband and wife relationships, friendships, enemieships, uh, uh, in churches. Um, because the truth is, we can not see Jack. We're, we are looking in this little keyhole. Here's the big room of somebody's heart and their intentions and their motives and their stories. And we got this little keyhole perspective into it all. You know, we see like a look on their face and then we assume, oh, they're, they hate my guts or, you know, uh, they're so mad at me all of a sudden. And with this little bit of evidence, we become the judge of people's motives and their intentions. Uh, for example, and we just take up this role of judge. So let me give a couple examples that might hit home to you. Maybe you can start to notice where we do this and it causes all kinds of emo uh, relational breakage in the church, in our families. Um, for example, when someone is running late we assume, what do you assume when somebody's running late? I guess one of my defaults is, oh, they don't care about me. Oh, they just care about themselves. Oh, they're so, uh, their life's just out of control, and they, they don't even care enough to come here on time. They're just disrespecting me by being late. We don't know. Or when someone uh, critiques us or uh, maybe challenges us, we assume that they're this, like, stone-cold jerk with terrible motives, and they're stupid and wrong also, but they must hate my guts. They're so callous. Maybe they're out to get me. Um, or when someone seems unprepared, if someone's just like an unpre un unprepared kind of person, we think they're lazy. These lazy sacks, right? Um, when someone doesn't want to talk to me right now, um, the, the impulse is to be hurt. That's my first move, is to feel hurt. When someone doesn't want to talk to me, I assume they don't care about me. I assume they just care about themselves. Now, a lot of these things, um, a lot of these first impulse moves we have to judge people's motives, um, give you a little uh, uh, extra here. A lot of this comes from your story growing up. A lot of this comes from how you were treated growing up, how you experienced things growing up, and you've carried it into this adulthood, or you've carried it into teenagehood, or you've carried it into old age. These same uh, patterns that we have our go-to responses when we uh, feel in some kind of anxiety. And we judge is what we're doing. And, but, and James says, who are you to judge your neighbor? 
You don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know what's going on in them. You don't know their story. You don't know where they're coming from unless they tell you, right? Unless you can be curious with them and ask them. Um, that's how Jesus is the only judge. He's the only one worthy to be judge. He actually sees the evidence. He, Jesus actually sees all sides. He literally knows the intentions of everyone's heart through and through. Everything is laid out before Jesus' eyes, his fiery eyes from Revelation, and his ears. And he's infinite in his wisdom and his uh, justice and his truth. And we are not. But we love to pretend to be. We love to pretend to be infinite when we are anything but. We are actually very finite in this. Uh, we can't read minds. And if we could, we'd use it to bad ends. If we could read minds, I would. <laughs> But because of that, because we're so finite and we can't read minds, we have no business pretending that we can and pretending and taking up the role of judge. James is telling us, I know this is a very uh, uh, minute thing I'm bringing out, but it's so integral to so many conflicts that we experience. And James tells us, we are not the judge. Period. Take the gown off. T put the gavel down. Take off your powdered wig that you're wearing. Get out of the chair. We, you and I, are absolutely unqualified for this. We don't belong here in this position. So James tells us that we are to stop speaking evil, even to ourselves, about other people's motives. James tells us to give up our judgeship, give up judging, because we are so finite. And it's sinful to take up this role. But our second point, he tells us to give up our judgeship, give up judging, another way, by giving up our rules. So there is one lawgiver, James says in, in James, uh, James 4.12. He says there is one judge and there's one lawgiver. And it's not you. And it's not me. We are not the lawgivers. This is another tendency. This is another uh, issue that we love to do that leads to us judging other people. So in this part, James wants us to let go of the subjective, arbitrary rules that we live by and we make other people live by. Um, he says in the second half of verse 11, when we judge, here we go, chapter 11, uh, verse 11, when we judge, when we look down on others, we speak, he says we speak evil against the law and judge the law. So what he's saying is that we put ourselves, here's the law, we like to put ourselves above the law instead of having the law be, because really, the reality is, everybody here, the law is up here for you. It's above you. It, it tells you uh, who you are, what to do, what pleases Jesus. Um, we like to put ourselves above the law and above everybody else, right? We like to put the law down here where we can just make, we can pick this law, I like this law, and I don't like this one, I don't really care about this one, but this one's really important to me. And I'll just make up some other laws and throw those in here because those make me feel safe and those make me feel good, and those make me feel like I'm in control. We make ourselves rule givers, law makers. Um, I noticed this, like, it was really interesting. One time I noticed this, and it's, it was a little disturbing too, but I noticed that the people that aggravate me, the people that uh, frustrate me, the people that evoke judgment and uh, contempt from me, um, those situations and those people are very unique to me. I noticed this one time, um, or several times, uh, when I was talking with my wife, because 
there are, th- there are people that she might be quick to judge, that, and she's describing something annoying thing they did, and I'm like, yeah, so what? Why does that annoy you? Why does that make you so frustrated? And then I notice when she's, when I'm describing uh, people or situations that are frustrating me or um, that I can't seem to get over, she's like, what is wrong with you? You weirdo. <laughs> How can you be so contemptuous to this person? They didn't do anything wrong. Look, and I notice that the people in situations that really get to me are very unique to me. I have my own, and you do too, I'm guessing, I have my own unique laws and rules that I think I should live by and everybody else should live by. And by the way, here's another bonus for you. Virtually all of these laws that you have created, they were all concocted when you were a child, when you were growing up, and you brought them into your present experience, right? Um, So what happens is I've taken these very specific and arbitrary rules, and a lot of them aren't even biblical. I just kind of made them up because they made me feel good. And I've got my own personal cherry-picked list of when, that when people violate it, judgment, derision, dismissal from me. Um, here are some, I'm just going to give a bunch of examples here. Maybe try to find one that feels right. It would be great if we went out of here just aware of the places where, one place where we're super judgmental and hating the things that God loves. Um, here's a couple of examples throughout my life that I've kind of have drawn my judgment, Okay. Um, did these things, anything resonate with you? Uh, joining a fraternity, for some reason that really irked me. The whole idea of it was so stupid to me as a college, I'm very different now, but that, draw my, that drew my ire in judgment. Uh, listening to popular music, that does it for me, or at some point. And some of these I made up, some of these are not really mine. Uh, wearing expensive clothes and jewelry. Um, not wearing your pants at your waistline. Um, some other fashion sin. I think, like, the wearing pants at your waistline is, like, a great example of something that should not bother us, but it bothers so many people. Who cares, right? Um, working for the TSA, that, that triggers me. I'm just, <laughs> if you work for the TSA, I'd like to ask you some questions. I'll try to be curious with you. Um, in fact, I bet you're like me. Here's kind of how I see the world. I, I think we all kind of do this. There's two kind of categories. This is how, there's two kinds of people in the world. There are those that I approve of, and there are those that I judge. Um, people that follow the rules, I like them. People that keep their nose clean, I like them. Uh, people that break the rules, shame on them. Judge. Uh, people that work hard, if you got a good work ethic, you're worthy. I like people like that. People that are lazy, you're worthless. We judge those people. People that take initiative, yeah, I like being around people like you. Uh, people that need to be told what to do, waste of space. Uh, people that agree with my politics and people that don't, obviously. We are so tempted to that. Uh, people that make something of their lives, fun. I like being around those kind of people. Uh, people that have no motivation, the, the, those time sucks, those, they waste my energy. No, I'm not hanging out with those. I judge those people. Um, those people who are marked by sexual immorality, uh, drugs, partying, those people are condemned. I'm not hanging out with those people. They don't deserve my time. They deserve my contempt. Versus those who have their lives together. Those are people I can hang out with, right? They're not going to waste my time. We can get along with those people. But we all have a category, and I bet you there's a, maybe there's one prime category that you live with, a major category that you, li- that you live with and function with, where these people are worthy and these people are judged. And the thing is, these are all arbitrary categories that we've made up. We make them up. Um, and any contempt... And any scorn or loathing or ridicule 
that we feel toward people that are in the wrong category here, um, that is anti-God. That is against God. You're doing the opposite of what Jesus does. You're doing the opposite of why you were predestined. The opposite, you're doing the opposite of why you were chosen. This text really reminded me of uh, when I was in college in Knoxville, I worked as a, I was a, I was a fish butcher for a couple of years when I was in, uh, in college and a little bit after. But I was a fish butcher for this restaurant chain called Calhoun's. I cut all their fish. And the guy that made sauces there, he was, the, I was a fish guy, the sauce guy, his name was Beecher. And at first, I did not like Beecher. I judged him so hard. I'm so ashamed looking back now. But I judged this guy so hard. So he was this old stoner dude. He would say really off-color stuff. Um, he drove this old Ford Mustang that he would always blast classic rock out of. Um, and I just kind of assumed that he was this cool, edgy high school dude in, in high school that just never grew up and kept trying to do the cool, edgy, stoner dude kind of thing. Um, what's that movie? Uh, Dazed and Confused, that guy, uh, what's, the, what's his name? The, the, was the guy in Dazed and Confused is like, this is like Dazed and Confused guy plus 30 years. This is what I was imagining him being like. Matthew McConaughey's character. Um, but God convicted me one time, because I was just, I even made fun of him with my friend. I'm like, look at this guy, such a goober, you know? Um, and God convicted me one day, what is going on in your heart? This guy hasn't done anything to you. Um, and God convicted me, and instead, I tried to move toward Beecher. This guy, I think I said his name was Beecher. I tried to move toward this guy and be nice to him, and it turned out that he was nothing like I thought, nothing like I assumed. That was my first issue right there. In fact, he was this delightful, beautiful person. I ended up going to his house. Like, every Friday night, I go to his house. We eat pizza. We'd watch old kung fu movies. We'd play Road Rash on N64. We'd drink a bunch of Red Bulls. It was great. It was one of the highlights of that time of my life. But how foolish and how evil was it for me to judge this man? This guy that's made in the image of God. No matter what he's wearing, no matter what he's doing, it's really disturbing. Um, I made my own personal list of rules, and Beecher failed. And so I, I had gone above the law, and Beecher failed my rules. And I judged this guy based on what was really my own junk. Really, that was all about me, not him. I remember thinking, wait a second, how many people have I been doing this to my whole life? There's one lawgiver, there's one guy, one God, one God-man that makes the rules, and it's not me, and it's not you. And James is asking us here implicitly in this, what are your rules? Whatever your rules are, throw them out. First of all, you're terrible at this judging thing. And secondly, you are not the lawgiver. Inherently, you are not the lawgiver. Jesus is. But Jesus does it justly. <laughs> Jesus does it, Jesus picks up this role gracious, with graciousness, the opposite of me. So James says, give up your gavel, stop assuming, and making judgments about your assumptions about people. And then he also says, give up your rules. Stop enforcing your own rules on people and forcing your own categories onto other people because you are a terrible judge. Now, if this is what James is asking us to do, how can we begin to do this? This is our third point. He says, give up your life. This is our third point. Give up your life. And look with me in verse 10. James says that, and this is the punchline for a lot of the text in chapter 3 and chapter 4, if you haven't noticed. This verse is the good news of James. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. We are to put ourselves, and you've, if you've trusted in Jesus, you've already done this, but we forget. We are to put ourselves under the lordship of Jesus. He's the one in charge, not me. I want to be in charge so bad. There's part of me that wants to be in charge so bad. But you are the one. You are the lawgiver. You are the judge. And can we appreciate how good of news this is? If there, what if there was no real lawgiver and judge? How scary would that be? What if I was in charge? How scary would that be? That would be hell for you guys <laughs> if I was in charge. And if any of you were in charge, it would be hell for me too and everybody else. But we are not the Lord and we are not the king. Jesus is. He's in charge. So this Jesus that's in charge, the lawgiver, king, judge, let's talk about him for a second. Jesus is the ultimate, actual standard. He's not, we, it's not made up. This is the actual standard for how we are to be and who we are to be. All of God's laws, like the Ten Commandments, for example, all of God's laws and his rules and his statutes, which we did not make up, which are actually objective from God, they are good expressions of his nature. For example, for example, these are the actual rules, not the ones about, you know, pants or what music you listen to. These are the actual rules. Um, and this is Jesus' nature. The Sixth Commandment, for example, Jesus doesn't murder. Instead, Jesus gives life. And you come to him for eternal life. Or the seventh commandment. This also speaks of Jesus. What we're supposed to be is also speaks to Jesus' character. Jesus doesn't commit adultery. He is faithful so we can trust him, even with our very lives, even with our souls. Or the eighth commandment. Jesus doesn't steal from people that don't deserve it. Instead, Jesus gives to people that don't deserve it. This is the judge. This is, this is who this guy is. And what did he do? When we judged other people, when we still continue to judge other people by pretending we're God, pretending we're him, and just making up and assuming people's motives, judging people based on our, our, our own arbitrary rules, we're basically saying, no, Jesus, sit down. Jesus, I got this. And then with that, we just go destroy people. We just go destroy communities. We destroy relationships. We destroy people. We attack Jesus' character. We attack his image bearers, we, like Beecher. We attack his good word. We attack his church when we assume, when we enforce our rules. And what do we deserve for this? We deserve destruction. We deserve uh, punishment. How heinous was it for me, and maybe you have somebody in your life that you're thinking, I've done this before. How heinous was it for me to, to treat Beecher this way? Beecher, you guys don't know him, but... It's ridiculous that I did this. And Jesus is the one who actually stands above the law, and he's able to destroy, and he's able to save. What has he done towards you? He's shown you mercy. In response to our sin, and this is from Dan Doriani, he said this, but in response to our sin against Jesus, he didn't look down on us as he could have, but instead he came down to us. He met us. He came down here and became human. The judge came down, and we read this in Philippians 2. The judge, came, the judge came down, and it doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense at all. And he took your punishment for how you treat other people in your heart and in your words and in your actions. Um, not for the music you listen to, not for how low you wear your pants, uh, not because you lacked initiative, but because you hate the people that did, because you're so frustrated and angry and contemptuous with the people that do. 
That is why he died for that sin. He died for that on the cross. He took your sin for that on the cross. And if Jesus took the punishment for your actual sins, and we're just talking about one, we're just talking about judging. There's a lot more <laughs> we can talk about. Uh, if, if Jesus took your punishment for this one sin of judging, if he looked at you in the midst of your sinning against him and the people he loves and his people, and he dies for you, because out of love for you, what does it look like to respond to this, to be humbled before the Lord? In this case, in this specific case of judging, it looks like acting like Jesus. He came to be with people like us that were actually destroying his good world, world actually hurting people that he loves, and we still functionally find ourselves doing it. If that's the love that Jesus loved someone like me with, then how much more should we love other people who are different than us, who are a little bit weird, people that frustrate us? How much more should we lay down our gavel and not judge others with our rules, but move towards them? Who is someone, as we kind of wrap up here, who is someone that, or who is someone or a group of people, could be in your family, in the church, at your work, who is someone that you notice maybe, I am judging this person. I have contempt for this person. Uh, might it be because you're assuming they have bad, evil intentions when you've never actually asked them, when you've never actually moved toward them and tried to understand and be curious with them? What if you were to move toward them and try to be like God, try to be actually like Jesus, move toward them to, to know them, to understand them? Or might it be because you have made some arbitrary rule about how high pants should be? <laughs> or that this type of person annoys you because they actually remind you of someone from your past? Or maybe this person is acting like this, uh, maybe this person is acting like a, the type of person that your parents warned you desperately not to be, or warned you desperately not to be friends with. Where is it coming from? Where is this contempt coming from? Here's some homework. This week, we'll start right now. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us to notice, first of all, who we feel contempt for. Sometimes we don't even notice. Show us where we are feeling this contempt and, and judging and why. Maybe even the Holy Spirit will show us why. Can you be curious with yourself this week and ask the Spirit to help you? Where does this come from? Where, my, is it from my assuming their motives? Is it come from my own personal rules that I'm imposing on them? Or is there something else I need to work on? Uh, CBC, this week, let's, ask, let's open, ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes so that we can repent and be like Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, would you show us the places where we are judging? It says all over your word that judging is anti-you. It's anti-Jesus. Would you show us these places so that we can, and help us to understand ourselves, so that we can move toward others uh, with love, generosity, and um, gentleness, and curiosity. And we pray that you would show us by the end of this next week, someone, or some group of people, that we need to repent toward. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.